like like everybody I've ever talked to on the phone, I feel the need to tell you that that is not me urinating. That is water for tea, as far as you know. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's important to clarify that. I couldn't, I don't think we would have heard the sound unless you'd put your mic up to it that way or whatever you did to pick it up. You read that, you read that don't think of an elephant book. You know, it's like the problem is that now you're thinking about me urinating, right? So wait, hang on, clear your palate. Hang on. That's better. There we go. I was already thinking about you, you urinating, even before yeah. you brought up the topic. That's so funny. I've been I've been googling all morning for pictures of you urinating, and I only found like five. Yeah, there's not not as many as you'd think. You should drink more water. I, I definitely need to hydrate yeah, more. Got a kind of yellow quality. Ah, <laughs> uh, you're gonna you'll cut all this out. Yeah, we'll edit all this out. Sure. Mm-hmm. So hey, how, rabbit, how are rabbit, things? Rabbit, 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 right? rabbit. You're supposed to say that on the first day of the month, but it's supposed to be the first thing that you say right. when you wake up that on the first day of the month. I've done that like once ever, and it was like I had to put a note on the ceiling just because I wanted to get it right once. Did it change anything? I don't know. I picked it up from Heather Champ. She used to always do rabbit, rabbit, and right. I, uh, I'm no good. I'm no good. I'm no good at, uh, well, you know, this is the third time, in our, uh, first time I've ever done three podcasts in a row, so, you know, knock on rabbit. But I, I oh, it, in a row, what do you mean? You have no. not. This isn't the first time. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, three weeks in a row, though, on the same day. That's pretty good. You've, you, this is the turning point, though. This is the show everybody who was pessimistic about this was saying, oh, I give it three shows. Yeah. So yeah. we'll see if we do a fourth. Yeah. Gosh, I hope we do. I love Let's this show. Let's button it up. Just to button up the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. How are you, Dan? Are you, are you well today? Yeah, everything you know, seems to be working. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What about you? How's San Francisco this morning? How's your private office? <laughs> uh, it's just full of micturating tea makers. It's great. Uh, it's great. It's uh, it's un- <laughs> all of a sudden I'm Red Barber in 1992. <laughs> it's, a, it's a cool, dry, warm, humid, dry, cool, warm morning here. The crepe, <laughs> the crepe myrtle are blooming, which means it's time for the onion fields to make the sandwiches that make the children. Am I still on the air? Uh, it's That's nice. great. I didn't know you did that. I do Red Barber. I do a pretty good Red Barber. That's fantastic. Yeah. Do you remember him? Do you remember Red Barber? I'm not, I'm not a big fan. But you remember him from when he was on uh, Morning Edition with Bob Edwards, right? Yeah, but that was, you said 92. I thought he was more like uh, late 80s. I thought he was done by then. No, no. He wasn't dead Barber for several, several years after that. That was very entertaining. And, you know, and he was from Tallahassee where I lived at the time. So I could, if I understood what a crepe myrtle looked like, <laughs> find one. I, for all I know, that was something he made up. You know? And I, I don't know. I never met his wife, so that could have been a made-up thing too, although she sounded nice. No, it's nice. Uh, you know, in San Francisco, uh, if there is a God, I don't really have an opinion on that, but he's totally screwing with us all the time, or she, or, you know, uh, could be, you know, a, a cray for all I know. But, but the thing is the weather. The, this is how they get you in San Francisco. Is there's this, there is a climate that is truly, in the actual sense of the word, unique here because of the Golden Gate, which is the big hole in California that San Francisco sits on. And so there's all this heat in the, in the delta where all the lettuce grows, and that pulls in all this cold air from, you know, the ocean. And so, you know, you go, hey, it's going to be really nice today. And then suddenly it's just fog everywhere. It feels like it's raining because so much moisture is falling off the trees. And we're in, we're in uh, I think they call it a bye day. We're having a bye day today uh, where it's very sunny outside. So by the time we're done here, you know, it'll probably be like, you know, uh, like Noah's Ark kind of stuff. It gets really cold and damp in downtown San Francisco in the evenings. Yeah, I, I personally, it is totally true. 
and I like it. I mean, I'm originally from Ohio, so I like it. I, I, part of the reason I was unhappy in Florida, apart from the fact that I was in Florida, was that I was hot all the time. I'd have to bring an extra. So you, did you do this? I would bring an extra shirt to school. In Florida? Yeah, I would change shirts. Just because you'd sweat through it or something? Yeah, I was a boy, you know, <laughs> theoretically. <laughs> I don't like it. Like my mom, my mom pulls up, you know, like we we're talking about, you know, you're driving a car. My mom will pull up and she's like, okay, I got to go to the vitamin store at the strip mall. She parks as close as she can, spends 25 minutes looking for the closest space. She goes in, you know, she buys her, you know, glucosamine chondroitin or whatever. She comes back out, she gets in the car, vroom, she, she drives like, you know, 40 feet. She parks again, she gets out. Used to be Eckert Drugs. Like, I don't know if that's Eckert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Walgreens. Now. There, she yeah, goes Walgreens. In, yeah. yeah, but she'll, she'll make four stops inside the same strip mall. Just because yeah, you don't want to walk, you don't want to be outside at all. Kidding me? You know how hot it is? That's horrible. crazy. And it's not yeah. just the it's not just the heat. You can deal with heat. It's the humidity. It's horrible. And in the winter, the inverse, you get a damp cold. If it gets to, people, when I first moved here, people would be bundling up when it gets to be about sixty degrees. And I realize it's because it's this damp cold. It just it's very penetrating. Unfortunate. It is absolutely. And my uh, my late grandfather, uh, who I talk a lot about in my presentations, was from South America, and so he was the same thing, like in reverse. Like he lived in Cincinnati for I don't know fifty years and was always unhappy. And then he moved to Florida. I think people say thin blood, thick blood. I don't know if that's clinically correct, but I think it's true. I think your body wants to be a certain temperature. You know what I mean? And so in Florida, if your body wants to be you know, around 85 degrees and it, you know, I'm just saying the Delta's there. If it turns 65, you're freaking out. Oh, yeah. you're hot where you are. It's, it's good and hot almost all the time and, and near the mouse, right? Yeah. It's, it's 74 today. Is that something that the, the Reedy Creek people have any control over? Do they, do they have like a weather machine or do you, are you aware of anything like that? They're working on it. Yeah. We should talk about that. The Reedy Creek, Reedy Creek thing sometime. We should talk about That'd that. That'd be a good topic. But this, this yeah. episode, we've get we've been getting a lot of mail. I should say mm-hmm. you you've been mm-hmm. getting a, a lot. Of, it's directed mostly to <laughs> to you, and most people want to hear about your ADD. <laughs> uh, sure. I mean, this is, I'm not making this up. <laughs> no, I know. No, it's true. Uh, there was that uh, my name escapes me. I want to say Eric, but there's a really nice person who wrote us and asked about that. I, you know, uh, I don't want to go, to, you know, too deep on on medical conditions just as a precedent. But yeah, I'm. Well, yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. The Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, I think it would be interesting because on on the one hand, you've already brought it up several times, so it, it is kind of open. For discussion, I think, but but there are other people <laughs> are out you, there. You, you, you've been watching too many Law and Orders. I think there there are people out there who maybe feel like they might have it, or who want to get better, or find out how you're dealing with it, and maybe yeah. you can you can help uh, out with that because you seem uh, to be a productive person. You seem <laughs> to be do. functioning in the in the world. I, I really do seem to have that all figured out. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I must tell you, um, I don't know. I mean, there's several there's several avenues when you have any kind of a, a chronic. Well, first of all, let's let's just say you know uh, there are terms that uh, drive physicians and scientists crazy. When you say things like when you use ADD as an adjective, that kind of makes physicians want to punch you in the throat because there there is no there's no such thing as being ADD, right? <laughs> you you either have a diagnosis of ADHD, which and a certain kind of diagnosis of ADHD. It's not something where you're just like I. I got to play video games. I've got a problem. It's there's a diagnosis, which is that your dopamine is not pro- sorry, your brain is not producing enough dopamine, and in in each person's case, that results in different kinds of things. 
For some people, that means impulse control problems. For some people like me, I have the most standard garden variety, boring ADD you can have, which is ADHD you can have, which is uh, I, I can get focused, but I don't always get and stay focused on the right thing. It's a pretty, it's a pretty common one. But then there's other ones. There's like the impulsive kind or there's the risk-taking kind. Um, you know, I have a really good friend uh, who has that kind. And it's like in his words, if he doesn't ride a skateboard really fast by 2 p.m., he freaks out. So if you've known people who are like, well, I've just got to get a motorcycle, you know, <laughs> that, that's a flavor of that. But, hmm. you know, I think there are, are, are things like, and I have been guilty of this way more than most people, ADHD, um, Asperger's, 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 that's a very popular new item at Carl's Jr. <laughs> I, I, so it, it's, it's not burgers, it's burgers? I think, I think just to not sound like you're talking about a sandwich, you should say Asperger's. <laughs> But, uh, you know, and what people used to call autism, people increasingly call spectrum disorders. There are all kinds of things. And then, you know, garden variety depression. You see flavors of this a lot. And to be honest, it's like once you quit smoking, you just notice how many people smoke. It's like once you have a diagnosis of this kind of thing, you, you think everybody's got it, of course. Um, but, but, you know, so I, I want to steer a little bit clear of talking about that in the sense of equating having trouble with concentration, focus, um, what my shrink would call salience, which we should come back to because it's a really interesting idea. If you're having those troubles, that does not mean you have ADHD. And if you have ADHD, it does not mean that, you know, it's an excuse to play video games. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's, I like to say it's pipes and wires. You know, it's pipes and wires. Well, you know, it's electric and water, basically, in your brain. And you gotta get, if you get the balance of electric and water right, you'll, you can ameliorate those problems. And I'm not a physician. This is not medical advice. But in the case of something like serious depression, it's a serious water. And by the way, that sound is, is <laughs> can you hear it? I can hear the running water now. Yeah. In, in a minute, in a minute, it'll go ding. And that means I can make tea. Uh, but the, with the problem with depression, this is really deadly serious. I mean, like ridiculously serious. It's anhedonia. It's the inability to, to be not even happy to be sort of normal. And what makes depression in particular, which I'm fortunate enough not to suffer from, uh, what makes it insidious is that one aspect, as I understand it, of depression is that it makes it very difficult for people to even realize that they have, a, have depression or that it can be taken care of. It's that sense of kind of hopelessness that makes depression so, so brutal. You know, and to some extent, I suspect a lot of these other things we're talking about have that component. I, I've called people, you know, it's... I, 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 I've, I've really wondered, let's put it this way, I have really wondered if 80% of the development team I was on had some flavor of Asperger's, if not autism, excuse me, spectrum, <laughs> right? I mean, you've been around people, and I've talked about this, like being in the room with a bunch of cold fusion coders, and it just sounds like somebody's running a copy machine when they talk to each other. You just say it's like, no, 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 application CFN, no, 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 no. And you talk to them, and like they, they're really super interested in the emotional life of their Star Wars characters, but like they can't have a conversation with people. And so... Tea is ready. Uh, I, I think the problem is we see that, we hear those terms, we throw it around. I am guilty of that. But having said all of that, I, I'm trying to get into my ADHD, but I'm trying to get to a conversation my wife and I had in about 2005, which is um, she was working at UCSF, so she's around doctors all day. And I was talking about, hey, I've got this great new post about how to organize your index cards or blah, 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 blah. And she'd go, she only said this like twice, but it really cut me to the quick when she said it. She's like, you know, you know, most of the people who read your site, 
probably really just need treatment for depression, ADHD, or a hug. Like, you, you do know that, right? And I was like, what? <laughs> what? What? Oh, oh, Madeline. Oh, Madeline, you don't understand what it's like to be a, a you know, in-demand knowledge worker. You don't, it's very, very complicated. We have to have a system for our index cards. And she's like, okay, fine. You know, whatever. <laughs> the site's bringing in dough. Have fun. But, it's, but I, the longer I thought about that, or the more I tried not to think about that, the more I really, really uh, wondered if that might be the case. Uh, and again, this is not diagnosis. I don't want to sound fast and loose with medicine. We should have a doctor on here if we really want to talk about this. But I will say for myself that there have been times when I thought, wow, there are people out there who are trying to solve, wow, I'm so far outside my expertise, people who are trying to solve what I would consider a behavioral problem. You know, at least when I took, when I took psych in, in 1986, interest psych, it was broken into two different modules taught by two different PhDs. The first one was behavioral, which was the, you know, sort of, it's the Freud and Lacan and all, all the stuff about, you know, behavioral stuff and Skinner. And the second half was <laughs> this incredibly straightforward, up-to-date lady who talked about the neurology. And those are two, you know, complementary but very different threads. I, I say that in the service of, of theorizing that what a lot of people think of as either a, a behavioral problem that they need to, to, to work on or a, 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 an industry and will problem that they can yell into submission, uh, you know, I think those are markers that it might be worth talking to somebody. Do you know what I mean? It's, it, the thing is with, with ADD in particular, like I say, it's, it's, it's dopamine. There's this little thing that wants to squirt happy juice into your brain, and if you're not getting it, you're going to drink coffee and ride a motorcycle, and that does, that's not going to help you do your stuff. So in, in my own case, I had tried to, to get treatment for that for a while, and I mean, how do you know? Well, how do you know, first of all, that you have it or uh, that you need treatment? I mean, well, do you, you may, know? Is you it may obvious? Not. Well, you may not. I mean, think, it's like BO. Like, you may have to wait until somebody comes up to you and goes, hey, seriously, this is something you need to work on, right? And, and who knows? Like, I, I had a pretty good feeling, just to be deadly honest, uh, we have a, uh, a late lamented mutual friend, passed away a couple years ago, who... Uh, um, said who Leslie Harpole. Yeah. <laughs> and Les, Leslie Harpole was always trying to help everybody. Like she's just the best. Like you go to a party and I would mention that I like the association. And by the time I got home, there was a zip file with every cover of the association <laughs> like that she could find. She'd send me her entire Victorian clip art collection. She was just the best. And one day she was like, well, you know, you have ADD, right? And I was like, what? what? I, I maybe. And she's like, here, I'm gonna give you one of these. And I was like, oh, I don't know. That's kind of weird. You're not supposed to. I went home and I took this one little magic pill one morning and I wrote 5,000 pretty good words that became a three-post arc on 43 folders that I'm still really proud of. And I said, you know, there might be something to this. Um, and, and this is something a lot of people will tell you after the long slog toward whatever you're working on. There's a day where you go, oh, I kind of feel like myself you know, it's like, even though you were yourself all those other days, you go, oh, this is kind of what I want to feel like. I want to, I want to feel like I can get my hands around life. Right. Um, this is probably way out of scope for the show, but uh, I and think that this maybe, is exactly right for the well, show. Okay. Well, I'm not super comfortable talking about, you know, medical stuff, but as long as we, you know, stop here, I think it's not too bad. But, um, I <laughs> went to more than one. I probably did this wrong. 
because there's a, doctors will tell you there is a certain kind of person being almost everybody who Googles something on the internet and then goes and tells them what they have and orders, like they're going into a place and asking for a bagel. They go in and say, hello, <laughs> uh, I have a headache, I have a headache and, uh, and nausea and blurred vision, so I'm pretty sure I have testicular cancer, please give me this. And the doctor goes, okay, well, <laughs> good thing I'm not going to blow all that medical school on trying to you know, take your blood pressure. <laughs> But I did. I mean, I tried to be really frank. I went into this GP and basically said, uh, hey, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've got some flavor of ADD. And I, I wonder if I can get a referral. You know, I, I gave her, I reeled off the list. I said, you know, I sometimes have trouble focusing on anything. But a lot of time I have really focusing, trouble focusing on the right thing. Again, let's come back to that notion of salience. And uh, she had a Russian lady from the neighborhood. And she goes, well, you know, I think maybe you should just you try more and maybe take walks <laughs> and drink water. You don't need medicine. I, and I was like, hey, listen, I got 114,000 subscribers in RSS who will come and walk up here and go, please get a giant wrist rocket and shoot pills into Merlin's mouth for the love of God. Yes, it's very interesting. When, when do you, uh, was this a man or a woman? This? It's a very mannish woman. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was Chekhov. I wanted to see Chekhov. Um, no, I mean, she, and she, she probably has a lot of training as a GP in looking for drug-seeking behavior. She probably thought I was like somebody from Drugstore Cowboy. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the Gus Van Sant her out of some pills. And, uh, <laughs> and um Anyway, to cut a long story short, I finally, I, I, you know, after when my daughter was born, I said, look, I, I don't want to miss my life. You know, I, I don't want to walk around and, and, and organize index cards. I want to like, I want to be in the moment. I want to be here. And so I did, I did that. Um, and I've tried different things. I don't want to go into a huge amount of detail because it's not really anybody's business. But what I will say is that in my experience, whether it's, you know, if you've got, if you've got whatever they give you penicillin for. You know, you got like a, that's not for a virus, but I guess whenever you got, when they give you penicillin, like penicillin is pretty expensive, it's pretty easy to deal with, and it's pretty, if you take it all, like it works, right? Right. A lot of medicine is really weirdly close to voodoo. There are, especially when it comes to stuff like psycho, what's the word? You know, but basically stuff for, psycho, not, was it? Yeah. (laughs) But you know, the kind of stuff where you're working on your brain and trying not, not to screw up your body and kill your liver. It's, a lot of it's a little magical. And, a lot, really, and I mean, I think it's magical to the scientists too. I think they find something. They say, "Well, it seems to do this." Well, you'd be amazed how many if you go and read the research on this stuff. Which I, you know, I'm no brainiac, but you can go and read it. And go if you look at Wikipedia. It's all you got to do, and it'll go like the mechanism for this is is this. We know it involves this and it involves the you know renal system or whatever, but we don't precisely understand why it works. What we do know is that a pretty decent clinical trial has shown that when people take this, a we see this percentage of people against a control seeing better results, and B, it doesn't seem to kill them. And that's how a lot of drugs make it to market. It's, it's staggering how many drugs, you know, where we don't really precisely understand. And with that amount of uncertainty, it's probably not surprising that it's hard for a lot of people to get the right mix. And I've seen this with depression. I've had a number of friends uh, diagnosed with depression, and there were like six-month periods or year-long periods where they couldn't get the mix right. You know, they, they, they couldn't get a boner or they had a headache all the time or they stayed depressed. I have a really, have a really good pal who has ADD and his kid has ADD. And like the, the amount of Adderall that makes his kid feel better and makes his life livable is way above the amount that will let him want to eat. <laughs> it's really hard. Like that kid's going to have trouble growing because yeah. he's, what do you do? I mean, that's like all this stuff. It's trade-offs, right? But for me, uh, 
you know, I think it never does hurt, at least for me, it really does help to talk to people about stuff. And I would never want to discount talk therapy as part of the treatment. But I mean, on the other hand, again, <laughs> look, we just have a recording every few minutes that says, I'm not a doctor. Please don't yell at me if you're like in your first year of med school and think you know everything. I, 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 don't, <laughs> I don't really, really, really understand this stuff. All I know is what, what I've read and what I've experienced. And <clears throat> I, I, there is really not that much to lose by at least running it by somebody. Even if that's just a counselor, it could be a therapist, it could be an, you know, somebody with a master's degree where you go, like, I like to ride a motorcycle while I drink coffee and, and think about video games. <laughs> and they go, all right, I would explore that. <laughs> I don't know. Dan, you seem, you seem, you seem very focused. Now, is that, is that the meditation? You seem like you got Eye of the Tiger. I, wow. I, ge- I guess so. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to remember. Uh, I, I don't think that I had this kind of focused before but that could be age i'm not sure maybe it's meditation i don't know i think getting out of puberty helps that helps a lot with a lot of things i think back to all the risks that uh teenage boys take especially in cars and i i can't i every day i think about it i just think about my kid and i'm like oh man i hope he's not as stupid as i was yeah i've been through at least three stages I mentioned this on You Look Nice today, but I describe myself as, I, I think I said, I, I'm, I used to be a drive with your wiener kind of guy. I would just listen to Husker Du really loud and, and punch it as hard as I could. Yeah. And uh, then at some point I went, uh, I woke, one day I went, oh, I don't drive around fast. I still like Husker Du, but I'm not dangerous anymore. <laughs> so stage two, that's a nice feeling. I think I'm out of puberty finally at the age of 26. And again, go Google this, but I'm pretty sure like your brain, the, the, the big soft middle part of your brain where a lot of good stuff happens isn't really done developing until you're like 25. Okay. So just so you know, teenagers are like clinically insane. There, there's, there's research on this. So you're, you're, the risk taking is and all of the like, that's not just ADD. That's just that teenagers are nuts. It's part of their brain, um, <laughs> said Dr. Merlin. But then there's the third stage, which is precisely what you're describing, which is now I do wait a really long time at a stop sign. It's the ultimate in existential defensive driving. I'm like, I can wait a little longer at the stop sign because there might be some kid listening to Husker Du and punching it. But right. probably not. He's probably listening to like crappy like, you know, T-Pain stuff. But, yeah. but in any case, yeah, I, I, think it, that, I think age does factor into that. But It's hard to say <sighs> where, where it comes from. But I think, yeah. I think meditation is a big part of it. And you, you, you also have a meditation practice. I've, I have um, – I do not – as much as it's tempting to make a joke and write this down to ADD, uh, it may be a component of it. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to blame any, everything in my life on ADD. Part of it is that I am my – I have a mind that moves faster than it should, sometimes very carelessly. And I, I don't think that's just ADD. I think that's just how I was raised. It's, maybe it's too much TV. Maybe it's not enough soccer. I don't know. But that's how I am. I'm not going to say that's just – whatever it is. If that's ADD, it's my ADD. But yeah, I've tried it and, uh, you know, speaking personally, you and I have talked numerous times about this and, yeah. and I'd, I'd like to get more into a meditation practice and I've tried. I bought one of those little uh, goofy little seats, not a Zafu, but one of those little slanty seats and uh, I, I tried it and I, I think I didn't stick with it long enough to build a habit. Do you know the what one, I mean? The one where you, you it kind of goes under your knees and your kind of knees are bent and your feet go through it, like that kind of seat? It's, it's basically, if you imagine, like a frisbee at an angle. And oh, it, it, okay, a, like a smile cushion or something. I guess so. Okay. It's, but basically it encourages, I went to some meditation store and got it. But it, because um, of course, you know, you know me, 
to me, every solution in life starts with an O'Reilly book. Like the first thing, <laughs> first thing I got to do is buy the pocket reference and half read it. But in that instance, I think I just, they say, I don't know if this is true, but people say it takes three weeks for a habit to build, which seems pretty sensible to me. Um, and I, I didn't stick with it long enough because I don't know why I just didn't. I couldn't find the right time. Uh, you know, I, so I'm going to shut up because I would genuinely like, if you're comfortable with it, I would genuinely like for you to talk about that. I love your stuff about Gil Fronsdale. I, I think all that stuff might be really interesting to people who, who maybe don't want to eat a handful of pills. Yeah. Because seriously, I mean, if you've got really serious medical problems, like sitting on a cushion, not yeah, that's do not going to help no. you deal with. Them I mean, first. even John John Cabot Zinn is probably going to say, "Hey, look, you know, I want you while I'm helping you with your mindfulness, you still need to get chemo." <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> you right. can't meditate your way, uh, you know, from not needing an oncologist. But I would love to the extent you're comfortable for you to discuss that because I could. Yeah, use well, what do you? I mean, what do you want to know? What do, What are you interested in? Well, I uh, there's not nothing like that. I'm I'm not. I don't have okay, no problem well, talking I mean, about I'll, anything. First of all, I mean, you know, what you and I are always throwing around this word Buddhism. I mean, I, for myself, I, I've had a lot. Uh, once a week, I have this conversation with somebody, and personally, for myself, when you talk about Buddhism, people like toss it in a pile with "quote unquote" religions or "quote unquote" spirituality. And I think there certainly can be that component, but for myself, I think of it as a a practice of the mind in some ways. It's it's to me, it's much closer to psychology and religion. I don't see anything supernal about. Buddhism personally. There's no, I, you know, I don't, I'm a big fan of the gospels, even though I'm not a practicing Christian, you know, it doesn't mean I can't really enjoy the ethics and morality of the gospels. And in this instance, you know, what, what the, what the, what is it? The, the what was it called? What's the tree he sat under? What was it called? Bodhi tree. The Bodhi tree. Yeah. Yeah. I heard he was eating a big steak under that. I don't know if that's true, uh, but uh, he, ate, he ate whatever they put down. So, you know, Kevin Murphy told me that. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I another one. Well, that's, that's what they say, because in, in the, when, when you're doing your alms rounds, which is something that a Buddhist monastic would do, they're not supposed to make or prepare their own food, right? So they, they go, they grab their bowl, which is their only, that, and I think they're allowed to have a razor. I think those are their only real possessions. And a Walkman. And a Walkman, because they do a lot of walking. No, I don't think they're allowed to have that. And they, they go out and they walk in their alms rounds. And, and basically, whatever people put in their alms bowl is what they're supposed to eat. And they're not supposed to keep that beyond a, uh, you know, they can't store food. So whatever they're given, they can share it with their other, you know, fellow monks if they want. But they're not allowed to, like, keep it for the next day. So they pretty much eat it. And they, they don't believe you should waste what you're given uh, either. So... Uh, if there's meat in there, yeah, you're you're supposed to eat at least in most traditions. And uh, I think I think a lot of Buddhist monastics would probably be vegetarian by choice. But again, if they're out there depending on the community to give them food, they're not going to say, "Well, no, I don't want you know, I don't want that." Give from it back. a from a um, I don't know if you call this ethics or morality, but from a I mean, if I understand the eightfold path, and I probably don't, uh, the one you know, being a vegetarian or not harming other creatures is is definitely like a pillar, right? Isn't that? Does that? This is a very Western white guy question, but are there a lot of collisions like that? Because I think I think in something like a what, more Western cultures, that becomes this thing where now people shut down because they go, oh, here's two rules that that don't agree with each other. This is Merlin Mann, and you are listening to Back to Work, hosted by me and your internet pal, Dan Benjamin. Brought to you on time and on budget every Tuesday, right here and only here on the mighty 5x5 Network. 
This episode of Back to Work is brought to you by Webstock 2011. Holy crap, this is a cool conference held every year in Wellington, New Zealand. There are a bunch of smarty pans there talking about all kinds of stuff. Marco Arman, Christina Halverson, Michael Love, Scott McLeod, Amanda Palmer from that singing thing, Mark Pilgrim, who's mad about RSS sometimes, Jason Santa Maria, very handsome guy. So many people, that awful little homunculus of a man, John Gruber, will be there, probably talking about Stanley Kubrick or something. And I, Merlin Mann, will be there doing whatever it is that I do, workshops and, and talking. This is a fantastic conference. It is currently sold out for 2011, but please think about going next year. It is an amazing thing. You can learn more about Webstock at webstock.org.nz. Our thanks, very much deep thanks to Webstock for their support of 5x5 and of Back to Work. Finally, you can always drop by 5x5.tv anytime to learn more about Back to Work as well as all the other great shows on 5x5. And if you have a spare hour to kill, why not stop by and join us for the live taping of Back to Work every Tuesday at noon Eastern, right here at 5 by 5 Now, I understand there's a, there's a certain inherent hypocrisy in me asking you to listen to us tape a show about work instead of working. But, you know, there's a lot of complexity to life and Buddhism. And, uh, you know, let's uh, get back to work. Well, I mean, for the, for the record, a lot of a lot of the most predominantly Buddhist countries have a lot of meat eaters in them. Uh, it there there is no rule, uh, at least for lay Buddhist practitioners, uh, and and really, in fact, not for uh, not for the monks either. Uh, there's no rule that says you must be a vegetarian. Typically, you'll find a lot of Buddhists are th- the kind of people that want to be a Buddhist are probably also the kind of people who want to. Mm-hmm. you know eliminate the amount of suffering and the amount of suffering that they cause so traditionally you will see them being vegetarians but there's n- that's not a rule and i think that's a a pretty big misconception you think of course <laughs> of course they're all you know vegetarians but they're not i mean countries countries uh like sri lanka and thailand and and japan i mean th- those are big buddhist countries uh, korea has a lot of buddhists in it uh, they, you know, Thailand, I mentioned, they, they eat a lot of meat in those places. So it, it mm-hmm. really just depends on, it's a cultural thing more than it is a religious thing. But I understand what you're saying. You're saying Buddhism seems to be more like a philosophy than a a typical religion. And that's true to a certain degree. But there is also a component of faith, and it's not faith in, 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 in typically, in a deity or in a force outside of yourself. It's It's the faith that you can learn the skills that you would need to learn to eliminate suffering. And there has to be a component of faith there because there's not a whole lot of people that I know, at least, who seem to be completely free of suffering and, and, and what a Buddhist would call enlightened. I don't know a lot of people like that. So there's a, certainly a component of faith that says, I believe that's possible. And it might not be possible for for, for me right here, right now, but... I believe it's possible, and I'm I'm my working toward that maybe uh, as as an as a some kind of an endpoint, some kind of a goal. So there is that component of it, and that component of faith is what I think qualifies it as religion. But it's mm-hmm. not like most other religions because it, it there really isn't a deity. Um, there isn't what you would now. There are going to be some segments of Buddhism where people do have a, a kind of a, a where they deify the Buddha, but at least in the Theravada uh, tradition, which is the one that, that I know about, and, and some of the other ones, 
uh, the Buddha was seen as as a, a guy. He was a person. He was a, he was a man, and he, and was he able, said as much, like Jesus. <laughs> yeah, and he was able to do. He was able to uh, accomplish something that made him a very extraordinary person. But he was a person, and they're not. They don't pray to Buddha. They don't worship him. They are not doing that kind of things. They certainly revere. Uh, the accomplishments and what, what he was able to do, but it, it's very different. So in that sense, not having a deity in in that sense makes it a, a very different kind of a of religion. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, to me, the parts of it that I understand, and <clears throat> I freely admit that I have not studied this. I have not, you know, uh, you know, I haven't received instruction on this. But but to the point of where we're, we're kind of going with this general arc, uh, at least my understanding of it. And I mean, I'll just toss out one book that I liked a lot. Uh, of several that I found very helpful was uh, a book by Steve Hagen uh, called Buddhism Plain and Simple. I think it's called. Yeah. Did you ever read that? Uh, that one I haven't read, but I have read. I have read the cover, so I feel like I've read it. Yeah, that's pretty much it. It's that plain and that simple. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, just, I haven't read the book. I do know the one you're talking about. He's Steve Hagen's written several several things. He's a <clears throat> he's a practicing. I'm not, I'm not sure what kind of monk, but but I think he's. A, I believe he's a monk. But he um uh what I get from it there's there's this one story. You remember my my story from uh, the first one about the wet paper bag? Yeah. I mean, he has he tells a wonderful story in there that I will probably massacre. But in a nut, he I think he gone camping. I think this is his own story, but he'd gone camping and he had like a ragtop convertible and uh, he was camping. He woke up the next day and he was just, oh my God, like somebody had broken into his car and they'd gone through his stuff, like looking for change. They like torn it up. The, the, it was just shredded and he's mad. He's just like, ugh, like so mad that like somebody would, you know, until he figured out there was a raccoon that was like, <laughs> looking for food. Right. And there's something in that story, like the paper bag thing that to me encapsulates what this is about. And, and like I say, you could, you could talk about this in terms of cognitive behavioral therapy. There's a number of roads you can take to the same outcome. But to me, for myself, my lay, 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 layman approach, um, it starts with a, a certain kind of seeing as clearly as you can and removing the emotion and the cataracts of your experience from what's actually there and understanding that the world doesn't change when you see it differently. I mean, it does change. Your world changes, but your, your cognition and your, and your thinking. But that to me has become so important. And again, and I'll just mass- go ahead and while I'm at it, I'll go ahead and massacre something else, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, which is, <clears throat> that was an Adler. Snapping your up, rubber band, right? Snapping the rubber band. But it's, it's this way of going, like there's an ABC thing here. There's A, which is something happens in the world. And there's C, I have an emotional reaction. And the B is like, <laughs> like what is it in me that triggered that emotional reaction? And does it have any basis of, in reality? And the notion is that anxiety, fear, depression, any of those bad uh, you know, nouns can often be traced back to something that was never there to begin with. And that you can, I mean, this is straight up, this is, <laughs> I think it's pretty, pretty well res, um, respected, you know, psychology to go that that is a behavioral change that you can undertake starting today is right. to stop thinking that just because Jane didn't say hi to me in the hallway, she hates me and I'm a bad person. <laughs> right. This is something the Buddha talked about with the story of the arrows. And uh, he was talking to somebody who was asking him, basically who was explaining the point, which is what, what I think you're saying, which is that we actually have, it, it might not feel like it. It might not feel like it in the, in the moment, but we actually have a choice as far as if and how we react to pretty much everything. Um, yep, things totally. that things that would even seem completely impossible to to react to, we have that choice. And meditation, it, part of the goal of meditation is to develop 
uh, concentration and mindfulness to the point where those moments that didn't seem like moments before are not only moments but are decision points where you're actually deciding you're seeing something as it happens for what it is and making a decision if you want to react to it. And those can be extreme things too. Uh, but the story, the arrow story is, uh, I get that. And, and, you know, whether these happened or legends is not really that important, mm-hmm. uh, but the story goes, the Buddha was talking to somebody and, and, and talking about this. And he said, well, uh, if, if I shoot you with an arrow, would that hurt? And the guy said, oh, of course it would hurt. He said, well, what if I shoot you again with another arrow? Would it hurt? And the guy says, well, yeah, it probably would even hurt more. And he said, well, that's the same thing that we're doing a lot of the time with those reactions. There's there's the first thing that happens. There's uh-huh. that first arrow. There's the first uh, event that takes place. And what really hurts us isn't the actual event, isn't the actual thing that happens. It's our reaction to it. That's the second arrow. And being being in a situation that we're in all the time think about it just like you said you know you're the one that creates most of if not really all of the suffering and and the the uh the pain that we feel it's possible to feel pain without suffering they would say you, yeah you blame you can blame that first error on somebody else but if you know and this, again there, this there's so many paths to this there's that's one of my all-time favorite anecdotes that's a great story uh it's it's totally encapsulates this i mean but there's this thing where like you try and avoid pain Right and how do you pronounce it? Dukkha. I I say dukkha, but I think dukkha, there's different dukkha, ways okay. to pronounce. But dukkha dukkha has been has been translated by most people as suffering. But there's there's more to it than that, right? right. I oh, mean, yeah. it's not as simple as just suffering. That's true. Uh, it's, it, it's not. How would you How would you describe it? Well, dukkha is it, it, it's it. Yeah, I mean, it it is much more than than suffering. It's okay, I think, to call it suffering. Uh, because that's that's the the easiest way to understand it, but it it's it really means like dis ease, um, not the wheel the wheel out of kilter, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the, yeah. that's kind of what it means. Is that it's imagine a cart with a wheel that's Un- unsatisf- unsatisfactoriness, uh, discontent, affliction. I mean, these are all you know discomfort, dissatisfaction. It it really has to do with the. I think I like the word dissatisfaction a little bit because that to me implies that you are have an active role in it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, pain isn't isn't really the right word, but as suffering is kind of something we don't we don't really have the right kind of understanding of. And but dissatisfaction, and and that's really the key is is that if you if you lose if if something loses its appeal to you, you don't want to do it anymore. If mm-hmm. if you don't get anything out of something, it it no longer holds much of a draw for you, and that's that's another goal of of meditation. And there's a lot of goals, uh, but uh, you know, one of them is very much seeing that these things that cause you pain or suffering or unhappiness, it, maybe stop doing those things. And and the meditation, right. the mindfulness practice, is what lets you see that. Because you, you catch it. I mean, that's right. the thing. And I, it probably sounds like we're wildly off topic from ADD, which, ironically enough, would, would be you'd expect that. But but this is exactly what it's about <laughs> in some ways. And why? Because the way I at least this is my interpretation of this is that that second arrow thing becomes really huge. Because at that point, you know, it's almost like self censoring. At that point, now you're trying so hard 
to avoid that pain happening again, that you're basically getting shot with that second arrow all the time. And as you say, you're the one doing that. And sometimes the most painful thing that you can do is exactly the thing. This is, to me, so huge. And if it's not obvious in everything I talk about, the hard thing is sometimes the thing you most need to do. And there's this one anecdote from uh, one of my favorite Christians, which is uh, Annie Lamont. And she says, uh, wonderful story in Bird by Bird, where she was, she was young, and I don't know if this is while she was still drinking and whatnot, but she, she had her tonsils out. I think it was when she was pretty young, she, maybe a teenager. But she had her tonsils out, uh, you know, like they used to do all the time. And she had the most excruciating pain, like the most blinding pain of her entire life. You know, it's pretty painful to have somebody come in and cut out part of your throat. No doubt. And, and you're sitting there, and they're like, oh, yeah, ice cream, really? Like, no. Go back there and get me the giant horse pill of whatever's going to make me not feel this pain <laughs> right. anymore. And so she's like hitting the dinger, like bring the doctor in here. Seriously, I'm going to die. And the doctor comes in and says, well, do you want that pain to go away? And she's like, yes, immediately. And he goes, okay, we'll chew some gum. And she's like, are you high? That, do you understand the excruciating pain that I am in right now? I'm not chewing gum. He's like, yeah, it's, it's going to, if you think it's bad now, it's going to be 10 times worse when you chew the gum. But trust me, long story short, she chews gum. The reason that her throat hurt that much from the tonsils being removed was that her muscles had seized up. Mm. And what she needed to do was exercise them a little bit. And by chewing gum within a few minutes, the pain was gone forever. But she had to go through a lot of excruciating pain, 10 times excruciating pain, to get rid of that first excruciating pain. So, you know, I think that's more than a metaphor. I think that's a pretty precise example of how we keep ourselves unhappy by following the lizard brain yeah. and by following yeah. the thing that tells us do the safe thing and do the thing that'll, you know, protect this one area. Well, you know, whether you're Ev Williams or whether you're Annie Lamott, sometimes you gotta you gotta run into the crap storm and go like, well, this is gonna hurt, but it's gonna it's it might be better than what I'm dealing with right now. You know, I I, I learned a, a phrase. Do you, do you read? Um, I know you're not a big Tumblr guy, but there's a wonderful Tumblr called Best of Wikipedia. Do you ever read that? Oh no, I, I have. I've seen the Best of Craigslist one. This Best of Wikipedia. I've, I've, I got one of mine up there. Uh, uh, you go and you submit, and they put them up. The one from yesterday. They do one a day, I think. Um, I just love this. Have you ever heard Hedonic Treadmill? No. Okay, so Hedonic Treadmill. Is this uh, best of wikipedia.tumblr.com? Is that it? Uh, I don't know. Google it, probably. Yeah, I just did. I'll, I'll put this in the yeah. show notes for you. Uh, Hedonic Treadmill, also known as Hedonic Adaptation, supposed a tendency of humans to quickly return to a relatively stable level of happiness despite major positive or negative events or life changes. So this is why, I mean, why is Elvis unhappy? He has everything in the world. Well, Elvis is unhappy because he's kind of unhappy. That's <laughs> the person <laughs> that he is. I'm not trying to be reductive, but what I am saying is if you think that getting a new video game system is going to make you happy, or you think that getting a new notebook is going to make you happy, well then, sorry to go meta here, but like you need to think about what believing in notebooks means in your life. That maybe there's some other stuff you need to look at that's a little more fundamental. Back to the ADD stuff, well, you know, we got a really nice note from, from somebody um, from the, you know, the, the website. Somebody sent a really nice email, and super, super cool, nice email. And, and he said, well, that was really good. I liked the show, but that was kind of all like CEO stuff, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Again, that, to, to, to quote the Dan Benjamin character, like, well, what about me and, and like my stuff? And, and I was like, ah. I think I CC'd you on that. Yeah. But I was like, I, I, listen to it again because uh, that was for you. And the point is you're not the CEO. That's the whole point. The point is that there are these impossible things, but just there are the impossible things you have to route around and there are the hard things. But the, the thing is though, in the same way that what you're describing with the arrow problem, well, the arrow problem and the second arrow, that really comes out of an unintentional focus on the past and things we can't change. 
right? It, it really comes out of going like, oh, that one time my hand got burned, so I'm not going to cook anymore. Well, you know, is it really the oven's fault? Is, is every oven going to burn you from now on? I, like, don't you want to eat sometimes? And I think that's what happens. I think we, again, you can think about it as risk aversion. But when you're thinking about, oh, oh I'm ADD, quote unquote, and so, therefore, what? <laughs> well, therefore, I can explain away the fact that I'm, like, crapping my life away on Facebook, with all respect. <laughs> no. I mean, well, that's the thing. What is the mindfulness part of this? And another great book. What's, what, there's a bunch of John Kabat-Zinn books, but is it not the miracle of mindfulness? What's the one with the brown, cover, brown and green cover? Oh, I know the one you mean. Now, I'm, now it's going to bug me until I remember it. Well, I have a book, I have a book we'll here that, that I recommend, which is, yeah, yeah we'll get it in yeah. the show notes. The, the one that I love and the one that I love to, to recommend to people, it's called Mindfulness in Plain English, and it's by who, That's terrific. who we call Bonte G. I can't actually pronounce it. Totally his, his downloadable for free. You can yeah. read it on the web. Totally down. Yeah, it's, it's downloadable for free. You can get it. I'll read it on the web. You can download a PDF format. I think they have the, the Kindle uh, compatible format. Matt, or if you if you are old fashioned and like to just hold a book, I think the book is like nine bucks uh, right. for for the book, uh, or maybe maybe it's ten. But uh, I love this book, and this is a really great way for people to get started. I mean, people are listening to this thinking, "Well, I don't, you know, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to be a Buddhist. Do I have to? You know, you don't. This is the great thing." Is it? There's no, no. Really, I've heard this is a quote. I'm quoting somebody. I'm probably poorly quoting them, and I don't remember who it is. But they said that that uh, no religion owns the breath. And, uh, and, oh God, and, that's good. And, that's and so good. <laughs> that's basically what it comes down to is focusing on your breathing. That's at the heart of this style of meditation. You're not trying to reach an altered state. You're not right. trying to uh, zone out, zen out, which isn't even a real thing. You're not. You're not trying to reach <laughs> you know, reach a different, necessarily a different state of consciousness. Truly, right. you're trying to actually be more in touch with your physical body, more in touch with the present moment. And in doing so, you develop more concentration. You develop a, a better awareness. You become less reactive to things, especially negative things. You become more tolerant. And, and it takes a long time, uh, but you, yeah, you, and, you get better. Sorry, sorry. No, go ahead. And the ramp in, I mean, just to be clear, I agree with you. And I, I would hate to leave people with the impression that they should fast, as my daughter says, when we get to the part where, you know, where, where Al's, Al's taking a nap on the couch and Woody has to go in and try and find his arm. Yep. She always says, yeah. fast over, got to yeah. fast over it's that in, part. It's in his pocket. It's in Al's oh, pocket. Yeah. And he's got the part. Cheetos on the ground. Yeah. She goes, fast over, fast over, daddy. Why? Well, I, I know you, oh, she, she just scares her, scares her. She can, she can handle the fire. She scene. can handle the fire in Toy Story 3. Fine. I have to leave the room. But, but. Yeah. Okay, I hate, so to, I hate so, for my son to see me cry. Oh, God, four times every time. We watch it every day and I cry every day. That's a different show. But, you know, you want to fast over this part. I know. But but because this all sounds like a bunch of blah, blah, something, something. But, you know, this is so much for you that you have no idea. And it's not really about Buddhism. Buddhism, like that, what you call it, you could call it, in, you talk about enlightenment, you talk about mindfulness. These are all just words. What they really mean is being alive. Yeah. All this stuff just means being alive. And it means catching yourself. I've God, one of the five douchiest things I've ever said that I really believe is that the art of art is learning how to oscillate between your time and your attention. And this is a big thing for me in my book and my whatever, which is that, you know, your time is your existential resource for making things, but your attention is this resource for taking stuff in in the world and participating with other people. And like to me, when people go like, well, what do you mean? I, should I manage my time? Should I manage my attention? I'm like, well, yeah. You need a left and a right hand to the extent possible. That, and to me, the art of art, as I like to say, is knowing like, okay, I have enough information to put my heads down, head down and just go work on this now. But I also am going to develop enough of a sense of mindfulness to say, wait a minute, stop. I need a break. I need to take a walk. 
hell, I need to play video games for a while. I'm so good at this that like I know that I will come back to this. I'm not going to sit here and freak out about all the times I didn't write. <laughs> you know, when you sit down every day, and you do need to sit down every day if you want to really write. When you sit down to do it, like it doesn't matter what you wrote before. There's no just like the just like the uh, the monk who doesn't get to like stick his food in the fridge. You're as good as what you did that day, which is harrowing. But you know, you don't get to you don't get to like build it up. That mindfulness means I'm going to catch myself when I am walking off the path. Yeah. And I don't have to I don't have to go to church. I don't have to buy a new I don't have to buy a new bowl. All I have to do is step back on the path. That's so simple that most people are going to think that is not directed at them. But there's all, all the things that tell you you can't step back on whatever your path is. All the stuff that tells you you can't do that is exactly what the part that you need to be thinking about. And for the ADD stuff in particular or depression or any of that stuff first, you know, if you're, if you're not happy, talk to somebody. And seriously, like your life is worth taking kind of seriously. All the jokey stuff aside, if you're feeling, if you're feeling like you're not yourself, really, I mean – you can find somebody to talk to who, who can at least get you in the right direction. You don't need to do it in public. You don't need to go on a forum. You can just, you can just go and, and get a little help with that. But if you're somebody who's going, I wonder if there's anything I can do about that. Well, the mindfulness does not have to be sitting on a cushion. It can also be sitting there and going, I'm just going to notice stuff more. Right. Anybody who's ever been on a diet, the reason every diet works, well, first, every diet, let's be honest, every diet is you know, <laughs> eat less and exercise more. That's kind of what it ultimately always comes down to. Although hook is what helps us be mindful, whether that's Atkins or South Beach or, you know, uh, paleo or whatever. The hook is we start thinking about our food more. I really believe that it, that is mindfulness when there's a hook like that. But taken to an extreme, you fetishize it. And then it starts being all about buying books about the diet or it starts being about buying a new notebook for you to write in. And that is where you got to catch yourself to me. Can I just say bash profile? As soon as I'm in my bash, as soon as I'm changing my bash prompt, like a red flag, hopefully will go off in my head. Otherwise, I will spend half a day not doing what I wanted to do because that's what got my attention. I didn't have the mindfulness to grab myself. And you can do this now. And I'm just going to say the anti-pattern here. I know you guys love your alarms, but be careful. Be careful about entrusting too much of your mindfulness to all these external things. You're the one who's going to have to exercise. There's no machine you can buy that's going to make your arms stronger. You know, you ever seen this passive exercise? You've seen those commercials probably in Florida, right? For passive exercise. You <laughs> yeah. go there and it's like, it's like something you would watch when you're really high. You like, you, there's like these leather, leatherette machines. You sit and like move your arms. Right, right, right. Are you? You're not getting stronger. You're just, you're just laying down, you know? So uh, the, to me, the thread in all of this stuff is that the mindfulness is something, it's not a zero in one thing. You wish. You wish it was that easy to write off. It's something you've got to work on a little bit all the time and keep doing your work and keep moving forward. But so when, me, you, when you say you can do mindfulness anywhere, is this the way that you sort of get around having to actually sit, have a sitting practice? No, not at all. But I think, I think the fact that I'm such a crap Buddhist makes me an excellent Buddhist. <laughs> I, think there's too, I think there's too many beliefs out there that rely on you being a zero or a one. Uh, and when yeah. people sit there oh, and yeah. go like, like, you know, I'm a vegetarian, I da 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 no, Yeah, but if you're, like, still, like, a dick to everybody in your life, then you're not particularly a great Buddhist. <laughs> you know, I, you know, the Internet's not a person. I'm fine being a dick with the Internet, but my family likes me pretty well. You know, <laughs> I, but the thing is also I kind of, you know, whatever. It's, it is what it is. I hate that phrase except for when it's perfect. And, and everything is what it is. And it's really you, nothing will change. Like, uh, you know, remember the, when we talked on the pipeline, it's like Merlin with his, you know, 60,000 followers kind of thing. Well, who cares? Like, what did that, how did that harm you? 
<laughs> what do you, so that's going to be your like, that's their thing now is you can't go do something because this guy like landed on third. It's like, no, none of that stuff matters. You're the animus for all of this. And if there's anything that, that the Buddhism teaches us that like, there's nobody who's going to do that for you. You know, and I, I think that is, I think that is so empowering. You should ring your bell, Dan. We're running short on time. No, we, uh, 49 minutes, 28 seconds. We're doing oh, fine. Oh, we're skipping, skip the split. Oh yeah. Well for that. Yeah. We need yeah. to do that. Well, we'll just work um, that. We'll work so that. So we got this, we got those books. What's a good first thing? Um, is there a good first thing? I, uh, I have a rubber band on my, uh, on my right wrist. That's a, a good thing. Pe- people ask me why I do that. Uh, you look at any picture of me, you look at any video and people go, what is that? Is that some hipster thing? And I have a really, really boring answer to that. That is really stupid. And I don't think I've ever articulated in public, uh, wear it to remember I'm alive. I don't snap it. I don't do anything. I wear it to remember I'm alive. Every time I see it, I remember I'm alive and I'm here. Is that cheesy? I don't care. I remember I'm alive. And I think a lot of people are terrified to remember that they're alive because they have to feel and they have to think and they have to make decisions and they have to go, you know what? One day I'm not going to be alive and nobody's going to remember which iPhone I had. Uh, I'm here today. There is nothing but today. And, you know, your today might get a little better if you talk to somebody. Maybe you don't have ADD. Maybe you're, maybe you're just an idiot. But that would be nice to find out. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's wrong with me that there's no medical name for. And, but the thing is, it, either way, you've got to do what you can every day. You've got to do what you can and you've got to keep moving, right? You don't, <laughs> this is the problem with knowledge work. Yeah, you've got to get good and get your notebook worked out, but you've still got to ship. All this stuff really just comes back to you caring enough about yourself too. That's not selfish. You can't, you can't be a great employee until you're, you know, a halfway decent person. You know, I, I, I believe, I don't know. Am I full of crap, Dan? Be honest. No, not, not yeah. as far as I'm aware of. Not as far as you'll say. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, don't go out and get a rubber band or anything like that's, you know, you got to figure out your own version of that. Why don't you Idiot. snap, why don't you snap it? I don't need to. Well, that's good. Okay, snapping a rubber band, if you're curious, you want your life hacks, that's good for two things. It is good for back to CBT, um, which is not cock and ball torture. It is actually <laughs> cognitive behavioral therapy. And CBT, the notion is, uh, it's called thought stopping, which sounds hippie, but it's when you go. You're it does work. The- it works very well. Oh, it complete- it'll work the first day, my friend. Yeah, it will. Especially if you do the diary stuff, like it really works. They call it a thought diary. And all that means is you sit down and go, A, Janie didn't say hi to me. C, I was pissed and ruminated on it all day. B, huh, I have no idea what's going on in Janie's life right now. Maybe she's having hearing loss and didn't hear me say, hey, how was your weekend? Did you go to TGI Fridays? You know what? Maybe this isn't about me. Oh my God, how harrowing. And the way you do that is every time you notice, this is mindfulness, every time you notice that stop, that the thought, one school of thought says you go, stop. <laughs> you yell the word stop. And as you get better at it, you yell it less and then eventually you whisper it and eventually you just say it in your head. But until you're good at it, you yell, stop. It sounds so stupid. Or you snap yourself on the wrist really hard with a rubber band. Right. That's also for smoking cessation, lots of stuff like that. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, that can work. Yeah, so that's the second reason is like if you're trying to break a habit. You know, even, if, you it's, also- even if it's nail biting. Huh, really? Yeah, because it, what happens is you, I don't bite my nails. But I did when I was younger, and I, I didn't use I the rubber band. I used to be a biter. I was stop. a biter. I was, I'm glad, I wish I had known about the rubber band because I probably would have stopped biting my nails in like a day instead of two weeks or whatever it took. 
But it, you know, whenever you want to do something like that, you just snap it. And I guess, I guess the way it works, maybe you can explain this better, is that your your brain develops some kind of negative or, or pain association with whatever that thought pattern was. Is that how it works? I th- yeah, I think on a, a superficial is too strong of a word, but on the, like a top kind of level, yeah, it does that. But I, the pattern I see, uh, why does talk therapy work? Why does talking in general make us feel good? Why, you know, have you ever had a really, really, really persistent, perhaps even obsessive thought in your head that keeps going around and around and around. Have you ever worried that somebody didn't like you? Have you ever worried that you're, you have stupid hair? Like whatever it is. The thing is, if you say that out loud, even if there's nobody else in the room, you're going to get such a different perspective. There is a neurological component to this because, you know, writing versus speaking versus straight up just, you know, ruminating, that utilizes different parts of your brain. You know, that's why I like to tell, I walk around and talk to myself to figure out what I want to say in the talk. If I try to write it, that's not what I'm going to say. That's what I'm writing, right? So if you talk to somebody and you get that stupid thought out of your head, I think that's a terrific thing to do because you go, oh my God, as the words are coming out of my mouth, I realize that I have been thinking something insane for a year. I spent a year of my life thinking something was insane. And because I was too timid or scared to say it out loud, that kind of made me sad for a while. And I think when you, to, to do that David Allen thing, when you put a briefcase in front of the door, when you do something that takes something out of your brain and puts it in the physical world, even if that's just with your voice, I think that, I, I think that makes your life better. It makes you less crazy. And, and you know what I mean? I think t- putting stuff, whether, yeah, and again, this absolutely. is really practical too, writing, I have something I need to do later. Well, why would I write it on my calendar? I'll remember that. Why would I... <laughs> As I say in my talks, have you ever found a a piece of paper in your house with seven digits on it? Not you, right? (laughs) Yeah. Not you, because you're smart. You'll you'll remember that that you do little regex in your head and you go, that's probably a phone number. But you're not going to know who that is until you call them or Google it. But at that moment, when you wrote it down, you knew in your mind. You'd never forget that number. You're not an idiot, but you've got 40 (laughs) of these now. And can can you tell who's who? Well, Put it in the physical world. You know, capture it at the right time when it's appropriate. Put it in the right place contextually for when you'll need it later. And if you have a thought that's banging around your brain and just echoing and what do they call it? A positive feedback loop, right? It's like the way waves work. Like, it, you know, synergy has a meaning beyond douchebags and business. Synergy means that one plus one might equal 10. When two big waves hit each other in the right way, you get a, <laughs> you get a really, really, really big wave. And if a thought bounces around your mind long enough, it can become obsessive. And if you get it out, do you CBT? think, though, Merlin? Do you think there's there's mm. a type of person who is more prone to those kind of thoughts or what I call thought loops? Do you think that there's a human being type or or a, a brain yeah, pattern? I, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, because uh, some people don't seem to ever have that problem. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's limited mostly to people who are who are living, and and that's <laughs> no, al- no, al- no, 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 no. I know a no, lot I of people who don't have that problem. Oh, come on. So no. you see somebody driving around in a black BMW, like with a, with a toupee and like, <laughs> really? That's- no, I'm talking about the real obsessive kind, the kind where, where, where you get stuck. Well, maybe you haven't experienced this, but where you no. sort of get stuck in a, in a, in a, in a, in a loop. Oh, I've done that a lot. I've done that a lot. There seem to be people that don't, they, they don't go there. And Benjamin, have you ever had a compulsion? Oh yeah. Really? I, I, I did when I was, I, I had it briefly when I was a kid. Um, and I've never had the clinical level, but I think everybody gets through those stages where they do like, what was yours? Uh, checking you the say, front, checking the front door. Oh God. It's the worst. For me, it was counting patterns of four. 
Four is the I, right number, though. That was always my number to count. Well, I, I've always loved rock music, and I think that that probably had some component, but I had four steps, find four things. But it's the right number, four. I've, people have told me their number was three, and I'm like, man, you're, oh, no, you're no, no, weird. No. What's no, wrong maybe with for you? Germans, a, for Germans, you're a freak. you know, because of the waltz. But I, I, oh, Viennese, maybe. I, I don't know. I, for me, I think everybody goes through that. I had a friend who's, um, I mentioned this on, uh, on the You Look Nice today, but I had a really good pal and a roommate. Um, <laughs> who was related to the people who own that drugstore I mentioned. And, uh, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, Big, yeah. big money. His grandson, yeah. And, uh, wow. and, uh, no, you know everybody. <laughs> he, had a, he had a member of the family. Everybody in his family had a tick. And one of them, he had this, like, his niece would, like, pull out her eyelashes and she couldn't stop. So she started pulling whiskers out of the cat, you know. Oh, there are people, geez. like, I, I don't know where that comes from. I just got I, chills. I, oh, I know. You should have heard Adam. Adam, Adam almost lost it. Oh. Yeah. No, pulling out, you're pulling out a cat's whiskers. That's no fun. Like, really think about it. Terrible. And that's their whole sensory thing, right? Imagine how much that would hurt them. You know what? Can I tell you something? Yeah. Um, no cat was harmed in my saying that. No cat actually had a whisker pulled out, but did you just actually get chills? N- well, not the second kinda. time. Yeah, but kind of, right? The first like, time you said it, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't that, doesn't that tell you something? Imagine you go to a, like the carnival and you're so, you have to poop so bad that you go into the portalette. And then <laughs> we'll we'll stop right there. I would never do that. No, I, I can't either. But you go in, there's a pitcher's mound. There's a beige pitcher's mound of poo in there. You go in and you drop in the, the keys to your Land Rover and it plops. And just think about that smell right now. Right? Think about it. Yeah. Like that is so real. Like you can, and that's in some ways, that's what we're talking about, I think, is, is poop. No. What we're talking about is that your brain is a creative organ whose job it is to make up stories, notice things, and, and react accordingly. And you're, <laughs> where do you think procrastination comes from, my friend? Your procrastination comes from you imagining like the worst conceivable thing that you can possibly imagine will happen to you, even if you're not admitting it. Some part of your brain, we go, oh, well, I don't know how to do this. I'm procrastinating. And you say that like, like, it's, like it's some kind of a, like a note from God that excuses why you're not doing something. Well, it's because your brain is reeling off down some direction where it has come up with the worst conceivable thing. It's like, a, like that Stuart Smalley thing, you know? <laughs> you know, I'm yeah, going to die. Yeah, Saturday Night Live, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm going to die alone and unloved, you know. Uh, I don't know. I think there's a thread through a lot of this stuff, which is that, you know, your brain is a really complicated thing. It's got a lot of heavy lifting to do. And I think if you, to, maybe we should end this with a, another wonderful quote from Annie well, Lamar. We are, we're at 59 minutes and 40 seconds, so let's do it. Well, you blew it. I was going to do it right on time. I was going to button it up right on time. And now. Are you making fun of me when you say button it up? Because I said that the, the one time and you've been. I thought I, I thought I brought that into parlance with that phone guy with that one. I thought, I thought that's what you were riffing on. I riffing. don't Oh, huh. this guy in front of me uh, talked about buttoning it up, buttoning up wheels on the ground. Yeah, and that's what made me put my wallet and do that particular one. <laughs> Annie Lamott um, says, there's a wonderful quote. I, it's on, uh, she, she, the uh, originator of that phrase, I can't say the S word, right? Crappy first draft. Yeah. Such a great idea. You know, just always allow yourself a crappy first draft where you're, it, just say it's going to be crappy. That's fine. But she, uh, she says, I've, she says, you know, I've, I've learned over time that I have this pinball machine of a mind. And instead of getting mad about that, I treat it like a puppy that I'm trying to, 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 you know, potty train. And she's, and I think the phrase she uses, she puts it beautifully because she's a wonderful writer. She says, I'm trying to gently incline my mind like I would gently move a puppy onto the paper. You don't yell at the puppy. You don't throw the puppy across the room. You gently incline the puppy back toward the paper. And over time, it understands that that's, that's where you do your business. And I, I think that is, that's the theme here. 
the, the theme is that, you know, again, stop all this zero and one <laughs> to, to, to bring up another medical condition. Uh, you know, black and white thinking, borderline personality disorder. It's got to be perfect or we can't do it. Eh, you know what? Let's try and move past that. There's going to be days you're good. And there's going to be days you're bad. There's going to be minutes you're good and minutes you're bad. But that does not absolve you from having to keep trying. And try to gently incline yourself. Yes, there are things you can do. You may need to see a doctor. You may need to drink less coffee. You may need to go out and take a walk. Uh, that all works. It all works, but that's yours to figure out. And in any case, the, the best starting point is to start that gentle inclination. You know, forgive yourself. You know, <laughs> I should come up with a Dr. Philism. At this you point. should. This is the right time. Here's forgive. the thing. Here's the thing. Let me explain this to you, Dan. It doesn't matter how many Fords you buy, they're never going to be a Dodge. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can repaint the Ford, but <laughs> let's go to a break. Pizzizz. Uh, get, get a thing that helps you take a short nap because it helps a lot. P-Z-I-Z-Z. There's a lot. There's a variety of these. You know, the Tesla people make lots of nice iPhone apps that are kind of uh, have terrible UI but help you take a little nap. Uh, my, my pick is going to be uh, Pizzizz. They have these for meditation. I personally think that's probably not a great way to start. But uh, try Pizzizz. I think it's P-Z-I-Z-Z. Um, and it's a little thing where you can say, I want to take a nap of 20 minutes and I want you to wake me up at the end. And uh, I have a friend who calls it dropping the spoon. Because when she and her family go on vacation, you know, and you're on vacation, you want to take a little disco nap, you lay in the uh, hammock and you hold a spoon. I think Salvador Dali might have pioneered this. You hold a spoon in your hand over a plate, and when the spoon drops out of your hand and hits the plate, it wakes you up. Right, I've read that, yeah. That short of a nap, I'm telling you, you can figure out how long a nap you need, and uh, that's a nice form of inclination. Did you see how I did that? I tied all of that together. Love it. With technology? Yeah. Yeah. People are going to hate this episode. You know that, right? I think we will have more uh, people divided on this episode than the, the earlier first two. Yeah. Um, I should worry. I, should I, mean, worry about I don't care. But, uh, no, I want to make people happy, but yeah. you know. But we've got to talk about these. These are important things. If people are, yeah. t- I mean, if people are tuning in to hear Merlin talk about, you know, right-click this and save yourself two yeah. hours a day. And, and, if, and if, you, if you actually waited through this or you listened to double or half speed or whatever and you got to end, you said you didn't tell me which medicine to get, go listen to it again <laughs> at normal speed. Because what I said is I can't help you with that. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you, you listen know? to them at double speed? Do you do that? I, I, um, do you want to hear a very, very, very short anecdote? Yeah. I realized at some point that I was going to have to familiarize myself on some level with the work of Stephen Covey. And I really, really, really didn't want to do it um, because I just didn't want to do it. I, I just uh, the mission statements and the this and the sharp and the saw and it was just like, oh god, brutal. This just sounds like the biggest bunch of BS in my life. So I, I found a version of one of his books you could buy <laughs> that came with, like I think it was like his entire unified field theory for life, which I'm sure is probably trademarked, uh, in, in an hour. And I listened to it at double speed, and I could still barely get through it. <laughs> but can I just tell you two things? First of all, like I've never heard so much BS in my life. But second, it was such good BS that was so close to what I'm saying that it terrified me. <laughs> he was saying a lot of what I'm trying to say in kind of a better and more summarized. And, and, but, you know, the, the mission statement statement's off seriously. Really? Mission statement? But I did that. Half, I did a double speed. It was like, I don't know, sharp and soft. First things first. And it was like, <laughs> that's a good time to do it. You know, you get through books faster that way. Yeah. But you lose the dulcet tones. Of yeah, like I don't, I don't, books. yeah, I don't like it. And I don't like it. When I find out that people do it to these shows, it, it really it breaks my heart a little bit. Yeah. Shame on you. Yeah. Shame on oh, you yeah. for listening to it at double speed. Absolutely. Yeah. Should we button it up? Let's button it up. We're done. All right. You going to play the song again? 
Yeah, can we can we have the song play? Oh, it's yours. It's all I talked to Jason. He's very he's listening to the show. Uh, Jason says we should credit it to the whole band, which I think yeah. Is not- let's do that. Talk talk about the song. Oh oh, uh, nineteen ninety five. My um, the band that I was in, Bacon Ray. We put out our first seven inch, which was uh, Tom Foolery backed with Sundays in a Row and Plika Plika. So that's when I uh, it was a really really good it's, it single of the year in the Tallahassee paper and blah blah blah. And I really like it. It's one of my favorite things I've ever done. And that's that was kind of the throwaway song on there. But I, I've always thought it wanted to be a theme song. So that's uh, Bruce Hamilton on drums. Uh, the really fuzzed out, uh, like kind of my bloody Valentine-y fuzz box is Jason. The one that sounds like Kiss, where there is an actual uh, riff from Kiss, is Mike Coleman. And um, I'm playing bass like a guitar. That's very cool. Yeah. So we, no, we, it was fun. You know, I, it was a great. It was great. Yeah, it's yours. Take it. Plika Plika by uh, Bacon Ray. Yeah. It's a great song. Should we make it available for download, do you think? Ah, totally, totally. Yeah, maybe we'll work on that too. I'll put, it, I'll give it to you. Yeah, button it up. Button it up. All right, thank you, Merlin. We'll be back. Will we be back next week? Well, we need to talk. We need to do some stacking. We might need to do some stacking. Yeah, we may need to. Oh, because I'm going to New Zealand. That's right. Uh, you know, our sponsor for this for this episode is a wonderful conference that is sold out. That you should try and go to next year. Uh, it's going to be amazing. Grubby's going to be there. Michael La, Frank Camaro, Camaro, Chimero, Camaro. I bet he goes with Chimero because otherwise it sounds like Camaro. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's an insane lineup at Webstock in Wellington, New Zealand. It's going to be crazy. And I'm going to be talking about all this nonsense, you know, maybe not so much Buddhism, but uh, it's going to be great. And so anyway, that's our sponsor. They're the best. And, How do uh, people go, where do they go to find out about that? Something, something. I would something, go to something.com right? and search for Webstock. But what it, if they're, it's, and it's in New Zealand, so it might be a little late to get a ticket now, but for no, a lot it's sold of, out. It's totally sold, sold out. Sold out right anyway, now. so. But Webstock, oh, Amanda Palmer's going to be there. That's pretty cool. Webstock.org.nz. And I just got to say, like, they are, this is the nicest, coolest bunch of people that I have ever, oh, Christina Halverson, she's a smarty pants. Oh, she's great. Uh, she's the best. Words, words matter, guys. Uh, anyway, Webstock. Uh, oh, 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 by the way, guess who I'm following? Scott McCloud. Mm, of yeah, the clan be, McCloud. Of understanding comics. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I better work on my slides. Doug Bowman, Mark Pilgrim, Mark Pilgrim. That'll be fun. It's gonna be a good, good, uh, good get together. So we people. gotta stack. We gotta stack a little bit. Yeah, we'll stack we'll it up. Stack a couple of pieces. Tom it Coates, Marco, Marco's gonna be there. Yep. Tom Coates. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we're over. All right. All right. Have a good one, Merlin. Yeah, I love you. Love you too.